0: Okay, oh my god, we're back and it's season two And when I say we, I mean we (laughs) (laughs) Hello everyone, welcome back to How Come, season two
1: How come, how come How come I can't achieve How come I can't achieve I'm rolling up my sleeves I'm rolling up my
2: sleeves Oh baby, I believe these guests can help
3: I can do it by myself
0: I wanna just Oh my god. Okay, it's season two. Guess what, you guys? This season, it's double the cum, double the Casimir. (laughs) I'm here with my favorite uh, guest co-host from last season. She's also our co-producer and our head researcher, and only researcher. Um, (laughs) um, You guys, Charlotte Casimir is here. My sister, Charlotte, say hello. Hi,
3: guys.
0: (laughs) She was my guest co-host on a lot of episodes, the most important episodes last season. I think. yeah, The first one, the sixth one, which is mm-hmm. when I came. Uh, congratulations, you were also on. Some momentous occasions. Some momentous occasions, yeah. Um, and this season, you're going to be here all the time. Not necessarily always on mic, uh, but she'll be here so that you guys can be assured that we are getting number one research. Exactly. Yeah, I quit my job. I had a full-time job last season. Yeah. So it and was hard she's to do here. both,
3: but now I'm here. Yeah, sometimes I would
0: even like... Edit her into episodes that she wasn't at. FYI. I like that. Yeah. I wanted to
3: feel like I was there. Yeah. I hated missing stuff. Yeah.
0: Um, but now she gets to be here more in sp- than in spirit. She's just like next to me, and we're always coming to you from our grandmother's house where I live. Shout out to Nanny letting me talk about orgasms and have them in her home. What up, Nanny? We're going to try to get her on this seat. Charlotte, like. I'm going to do something about it. It's like, first of all, she doesn't understand yet that it's not video. Which is so unnerving. She's like, I look terrible. How hard like it It's audio. She doesn't
3: want to understand. Yeah, but all
0: but she has I'll like the her. best insight. Like every time I talk to her about like, oh, what was your first date like? What was your first time like? It's yeah. the most interesting shit, and she it's has so fascinating different. stories. Yeah. So so different. Um, but yeah, so Charlotte being more present this season means two things: one, more fun for me. Best times <laughs> ever two is we're just gonna have like way better guests yeah so i mean not better but like last season season. it's It's a a whole new thing season one my journey yeah Yeah, i think (laughs) season one
3: was like who are you very comfortable with yeah and who has amazing stories this is kind of kicked up a notch of like who are experts and who really know their stuff and who listeners will also know
0: exactly um and we just want them to answer all the questions for you that we can't answer um and that we're wondering ourselves so exactly charlotte we booked been working some her really little really cool stuff yeah really cool i'm stuff. so excited and obviously i'm gonna have comics in along the way it's still gonna be a fun-ass podcast just because she's here doesn't mean it won't be funny anymore no i'm just kidding <laughs> no, um we're not gonna have you on the mic all the time why I sound like this. Are, you I sound mean, like I, me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a problem. Like
3: you, but worse.
0: Yeah, but <laughs> me with a cough. But like a lot of you have been like, more Charlotte. And I'm like, I agree. But the problem is, is that we have the same voice. So Charlotte's going to be here just so that you guys know she's here. She's doing all the research, all of the information. I'll that answer we're your giving. questions. Yeah. I'm just not going to do it verbally. Yeah. And, um, yeah, this first, uh, Episode, sorry, you're gonna have to deal with our voices because Charlotte is a, is a super fan of this first guest. I am, and it would be rude not to let her on mic the entire time. I'd hurt you. <laughs> She'd hurt me. <laughs> um, Charlotte, do you want to tell him about our first guest? I'd, lo- I'd love to. Okay, go ahead.
3: <laughs> our guest today, I am super excited about. He has a sex advice column called Savage Love. He's the host of the Savage Love Cast and Hot Mike with. Dan, Dan Savage. Savage. And he's the editorial director of The Stranger, which is Seattle's weekly alternative newspaper. I mean, honestly, his stuff has been in publications from The New York Times to GQ, Rolling Stone, everywhere. He's been on CNN, MSNBC. He's written books. He's written books. What are the books he called? He is incredible. Skipping Towards Gomorrah, The Seven Deadly Sins in the Pursuit of Happiness in America, The Commitment, Love, Sex, Marriage, and My Family... Um he's he's just done so much. He's so smart, so outspoken. He's the guy. He's the he's guy. He's the
0: podcast sex guy. Literally for decades now. Calling in all the way from Seattle via Skype. Dan fucking savage. savage. <laughs>
3: Woo! And his Oh, I can't say that.
0: What? <laughs> <laughs> I want to say his Skype name. No, what you can't I say can't his Skype name. Oh, hello. There
3: he is. Hi. It's so nice to meet you. Thank
0: you for talking to us. This is our grandma's home. Welcome.
2: Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, welcome to
0: our grandmother's home where I live and we record this podcast. And uh, this is the season two opener of How Come. Um, season one was all about the fact that I could not have orgasms. I was 28 and I was like, I need to uh, be held accountable because Charlotte was like, you're a lazy masturbator. <laughs> um uh, uh-huh. So I haven't been getting assignments anymore after I come, but all of our listeners who still are on the journey are like, can you keep taking um, assignments from experts so that you know, we can feel like we're on a path to self-discovery as well? So you're the best at advice. Um, you've been giving advice since... Decades. 91?
1: 91. 1991. Yeah, 91.
0: That's a long time. Um, what was the best advice you have ever gotten surrounding the female orgasm?
1: Take the pressure off.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, that you know, guys have this advantage. You know when we came, right? There's there's evidence everywhere. There are cases where women are hooked up to electrodes, and it turns out that they are having orgasms. They're just not perceiving them as orgasms. Physiologically, all of the contractions, everything's going. Mm-hmm.
2: They're just mm-hmm.
1: not tapped into their own experience of. Pleasure, or they're somehow the neural pathways haven't sort of latched into the pleasure centers of the brain in, the, in a way that those grooves haven't been carved. So, sometimes the best advice, and I think often the best advice for women who are having trouble coming is to relax and take the pressure off. Um, a lot of women find that orgasms come, a lot of women who are anorgasmic in their 20s find that the orgasms come more easily as they get older as they get into their late 20s and Mm. early 30s. So sometimes I think it's just really advantageous to tell someone, keep exploring, keep touching, keep watching different kinds of porn, reading different kinds of erotica, get a fucking vibrator or two, and keep experimenting without the goal of every masturbatory experimental session being orgasm. The goal should be pleasure, and the orgasms, if you're not already having them, and in some cases women are already having them, the orgasms will come. So wait. You know wait. one of the things that often happens with young men when they boys when they first start masturbating, they masturbate for a long time without ejaculating and then the yeah. ejaculation happens and they're like, "What the fuck was that?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> young boys sort of when I was young, you know, my peers pre-internet porn, when everyone had access to internet porn all the time. Maybe you saw a little bit of pornography with some hard dicks in it, but you didn't see ejaculations. Mm. And so young boys, 12, 13, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, would be masturbating and enjoying how pleasurable it felt to stroke without coming. Yeah. And then one day they kept stroking past it being too ticklish, and they ejaculated. And that was like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> well, God. Right? But there was this long period of self-stimulation without any idea of a goal. It right. Was just, it just felt good. Yeah. I kept doing it. And eventually your body, like those, those pathways, those grooves were carved over time. Like a lot of, I'm sorry, going off like no, crazy. No, no, no.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's totally like makes practice makes perfect.
1: Yeah. Right. Also, a lot of women don't, yeah. mas- and don't start masturbating until maybe they're in their 20s. Mm-hmm. They don't feel as entitled to masturbate. They're not encouraged. I so much to catching
0: up to do. So much catching up. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. I got to go.
1: <laughs> Whereas boys are encouraged to. It's culturally expected that we will. It's normative. Yeah. Boys will start masturbating at 11 and be experts by the time they're 15. If you don't start masturbating as a woman until you're 26, you might not be an expert at it until you're 31.
3: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Especially... There's the physical component where you need to be biologically there, like forming those neural pathways. And then what we've said is also just be comfortable yeah. too.
0: Yeah, there like, was a big thing of when little girls are caught masturbating, it's we don't do that. But when little boys are caught masturbating, it's we don't do that in public. Right. So it's, it's normal for one of them and it's abnormal for another one. Like I was even saying like, we weren't even told we could fart for the longest time. I know <laughs> let alone, let alone touch our vaginas and not be uh, ashamed of it. Um but there was one quote uh by Mary Jane Sherfy that you mentioned um and it was the more orgasm she has the more orgasm she can have which mm-hmm. was the coolest thing It was thing the coolest thing to read for me to hear because I feel like I've only gotten better at coming this year. Um
3: yeah. Well, she says what is the term? It's like she, women are the insatiable sex. Yeah, which is so not how we were raised.
1: It to be what people believed. you know, the, the the cultural norm now that that women are not as interested in sex, uh, not as lustful mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. men are. That's a reversal of you know, five hundred years ago, people believed the opposite that men were more naturally chaste, that men were less sex obsessed, and women were. The sort of base more sexual, more lustful half of the species.
0: In what time period? When are we talking? and why? Yeah,
1: like the fifteenth, sixteenth centuries.
0: That's because I know I know Roman and Greek statues. They used to um, make the penises smaller because a lustful guy he would have been working out his penis, and his penis would have oh. gotten bigger. And so, like a guy who used his mind and was more respectful oh. would have a smaller penis. <laughs> That's what I know, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I knew that, like,
3: Eve was always portrayed as just this, like, pure sex, lust, gross, or with ancient Greek people, it was the guys who had relationships, and you just used women for sex to, like, have a
0: baby. Yes. But, (laughs) (laughs) anyway, sorry.
1: What was it that did the trick for you? How did you start coming?
0: The womanizer. Literally, day
1: dot that I got it combination with anything or was it just the sensations
0: just the sensation it was yeah i had been saying for a really long time uh i was like oh it's like i have a little penis i wish somebody had a small enough mouth to suck my little penis (laughs) and then this gift came to me yeah um via yeah someone else who hadn't ever had orgasms told my friend will about it and then he told me
1: Sounds awesome. Congratulations. Thank
0: you. It was, we like to say congratulations here. Um, but yeah, no, I think that was really interesting about the neural pathways being like you're practicing to come. Right. Um, do you remember your first time? Yes. Oh, yeah? Uh,
1: yes. But not my first time stroking myself, my first time ejaculating. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I was 13 or 14 years old. I was in the tub taking a shower. And I used to spend a great deal of time washing my genitals with this kind of thick, green, viscous uh, shampoo that my mother couldn't understand why we went through so much of. (laughs) And I was just stroking myself and then stuff started flying out the end of my dick. And I had no idea what that was about, but I liked it. And so I did it six or seven times a day uh, (laughs) thereafter for years.
3: It's incredible. Yeah,
1: that's where I'm at right now. I was just
3: going to say, it's like now for you and for a lot of girls, I know we're just starting that like boy phase now.
0: Yeah, but it shouldn't be called a boy phase. not a boy phase. Yeah. A young phase. A young or yeah whatever it is. Our sexual exploration phase. Excitement. Constant excitement. Do you know how many hours it takes for me to edit these podcasts because I'm just (laughs) thinking about sex and...
3: (laughs) 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 Yeah, it shouldn't be like saying you're like a teenage boy We're like teenage girls. Right. Exactly. (laughs) 100%. Um, But what I thought was also interesting that you've given a lot of advice about um, and a lot of your listeners have written in about like not being able to make their partners come and um, how you talk about taking the pressure off, not just them, but you're implying that their orgasm is in your own hands. Mm.
1: She has to know how to make herself come before anybody else is going to be able to make her come. Yeah, Guys arrive at partnered sex, experts on their own orgasms Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and what they need, what it feels like what those plateaus feel like what the point of orgasmic inevitability feels like all teenage boys are out there edging themselves and masturbating and and really then they arrive at partnered sex knowing exactly what their dick needs knowing exactly what their dick uh, what works for their dick and how it works and women who aren't encouraged to masturbate will arrive at partnered sex often with a boy and look at him and be like okay make me come 100% and maybe this boy has never actually seen a vagina before maybe he's as inexperienced with the opposite sex as she is with her own genitalia and he's not going to be able to make her Mm come she's got to show him how to make her come so she has to know what it takes to make her come
0: right even being able to say like i said the word left for the first time in sex recently and it was the like it's not even a big But it felt like such a big deal That I was able to be like I know exactly what I like right now I know where I need you to go And I'm going to tell you And I'm going to say one word Yeah, And then it worked It was like fireworks It was like solving Minesweeper It was amazing
1: (laughs) (laughs) And and, and women sometimes fear That if you start giving a man orders during sex That Mm -hmm. he's going to feel emasculated That he's going to feel you're too aggressive and be turned off the guy you ordered to move a little bit to the left was he not grateful for the instructions oh
0: my god we were having the best time
1: so don't worry like telling somebody what to do people don't like feeling like they're flying blind a a guy who's invested in your pleasure and wants you to get off wants your help yeah Yeah, that's really interesting
3: yeah because i i would always feel i might be super comfortable talking about sex outside the bedroom and then it's like Suddenly, there's a thing. Once I'm in the moment, that I'm not as comfortable speaking up, Mm -hmm. and how? A lot of our
0: listeners have said that too. How would you like? How do you get over that barrier? You
1: have to will yourself over it. Just you have to use your words and use your own hands. Yeah, Uh, I often tell straight people who are having these kinds of issues to watch some gay pornography, and. It's amazing what you'll see when you watch two guys fucking. Um, Uh You'll see a lot of talking because what's going to happen isn't necessarily obvious or assumed. But you'll also see uh, the guy getting fucked, the bottom, stroking his own cock. Uh And when they come together, it's because they timed masturbation with penetration. Not because penetration all by itself is magic and makes everybody come. Right. You said your clit. You feel like you have a small penis. You do have a small penis.
0: hundred percent. clit is. Yeah.
1: And, and a penis is a giant clit. And you can stroke yourself and touch yourself during partnered sex. A lot of people have it in their heads that you shouldn't touch yourself during partnered sex. Or if your partner touches themselves while they're having sex with you, like, you're not you doing, doing it wrong. Or you're not turning them on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's just part of. The, the experience, the pleasure of the experience, self-touch can be a part of it. And if yeah. self-touch is what it takes to get you there, do it.
0: For some reason, it feels like it's bad for a girl to masturbate during because it's like, I don't need you. But it's actually... It's not even masturbating, though. It's, it's not like... No, it's like having sex with each showing, it's sex. It's, it's and showing sex. Yeah. Ugh. And showing the other person what to do instead of saying something. Like a lot of people won't touch themselves during sex because they're afraid that what that means to the other person is you're not you doing can't it for do it me. right you're not doing it when instead it's it's not you can't do it it's look this is how I do it which isn't like a bad thing it's also let's do it together, together. at the same time which yeah, is yeah, very yeah, hard yeah. but what you were saying before is like you have a tough time vocalizing it yeah. like maybe you could be like hey look you know it could just be like easy not that necessarily that's any less embarrassing but that's a way that you don't have to use your voice right is just to do
1: yeah watch the gay porn there's no nobody ever in the middle of like gay sex looks at the guy getting fucked who's stroking his dick and is like stop that what are you doing why are <laughs> yeah. you <touching> yourself?"
0: <laughs> he's stop supposed that. to do that Get right your hands only i'm talking you
1: with my magic penis and that's all you should need
0: right well i love how you you have said magic penis a lot because guys are there there's um uh, an episode where you were talking about um The Aziz Ansari story from Babe.net, a caller who had had a guy who was a little too aggressive with her. And she was asking, is it on me to tell him about this for the next person? Basically, the campfire rule.
1: Right. Leave someone in better shape than you found them. Yeah. For the next person that they're with. Yeah. Uh, So if there's some feedback that they need, if they busted a move from pornography that is a move that should be negotiated and not just attempted mm-hmm. and they just went for it. They need some critical feedback. They need to know that that was unpleasant, unwelcome, shocking. Mm-hmm. People need to hear, people need to be told. And right. you know, people often have a bad experience and they think, well, I'm never going to see that person ever again. Yeah. Or take some responsibility, a little bit of responsibility for the next person that yeah. person ends up in bed with. And, you know, give them some, critical feedback if they did something that that you found unpleasant and who knows maybe in the way they react to that critical feedback you may revisit your decision not to fuck them again if you give them critical feedback and they welcome it and they are positive about it and they're grateful then maybe they've learned a lesson and maybe you can communicate with them in a different way sexually and feel comfortable fucking them
0: again yeah what was interesting too though was that uh so many women have given feedback like, oh, yeah, or they'll, they'll fake orgasms. Um, yep. And that kind of feedback leaves the guy thinking, oh, he magic has this penis. magic penis. Yeah, yeah. And, that the, and then the one woman who can't orgasm from that or, or is honest about the fact that she didn't orgasm about that magic penis gets kind she of like... She feels defective. The flack, yeah, or he'll even yell at her being like, Right. What the fuck is Actually, Well, everyone with you. else does?
1: Yeah. Every other woman I've been with could come just from penetration. What's wrong with you?
0: Yeah.
1: Is what guys will say because women will fake it. And 75% of women can't come from just vaginal intercourse alone. They need additional, focused, intense clitoral stimulation. Almost always clitoral stimulation. With fingers or vibrators or oral in order to come. But guys will think all women can come from vaginal penetration because all the women they've been with either could, the 25%, or lied to them. The
0: 75%. Yeah.
1: And then the first woman who tells the truth is treated like she's the freak. We
0: had an interesting thing. I took um, one of our listeners to a sex party and she um, was using a motor bunny with this guy and he had her on it and he was turning it up and stuff and it wasn't really working for her. And she was like, yeah, I don't really like it. And he literally started being like, I was so mad at him what do you mean every other woman likes it every other one I've been able to make come on this thing
2: I was it's also like funny.
0: well not me either I don't like it it's like a Sibian
2: uh-huh.
0: but yeah bas- I saw it in real time happening to another person and I, and I was like oh my god at a sex club where this is supposed to be like right. the most open the nicest people the most understanding um, somebody getting offended about not even their anatomy a machine <laughs>
1: Well, there are assholes everywhere. Yeah. Some of everybody's an asshole. Even some people in sex-positive spaces that you think would know better are assholes.
0: Yeah. Um, But the thing about the Aziz intro that I thought was really interesting was how you were talking about how men are just social. And we talked about this on episode four of season one, if you guys ever want to go back and listen to that. I don't know if I covered it in the appropriate way, but I liked your take of men are socialized Um, in a certain way that they might not uh, realize those nonverbal cues. And sometimes it is on the woman. To leave. Yes.
1: Yes. Well, men I mean, men, women are socialized to defer to men and men aren't socialized to be conscious of that dynamic. Yeah. So the man may not realize that the neither yes nor no answer that he got was a no. Mm-hmm. Right. He may think it's an ask again later or ask for something else. You know, that, that Gloria Steinem, I think, said that men are afraid women will laugh at them and women are afraid men will kill them. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so women are often sort of playing uh, defense in, in this way that men aren't conscious of. Mm hmm. Men aren't conscious of their own, you know, advantage in a situation like that. Just like white people aren't conscious of white privilege, men aren't conscious in an opposite-sex encounter of those dynamics. And the man may not be attempting to leverage that maliciously. Right. May not even be conscious of it, but it's happening. So we have to, like, socialize men to be aware of the ways in which women are socialized. Because most men who, most men don't want the woman they're with to have a bad experience. Right. Before. If she ends up having a bad experience because everybody was misreading cues, not only is she going to leave traumatized, he may – when he finds out or she like hopefully confronts him about it, he may feel genuinely awful because it was not his intention to leverage her socialization against her to get what he Mm wants. He was just asking again or trying something else. To please both himself and her. So, uh, you know, I'm not talking about the malicious assholes and the rapists and the people who don't care. I'm talking about, I think, the majority of guys, like I think Aziz Ansari in that experience, yeah. Yeah. who are just taking another run at it. You're still here. Obviously, there's some interest. There's not been a no. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I've asked for a yes, and there's been a maybe or a can we do this instead for a little bit. And, you know, it was Laura Kipnis in her essay in the New York Review book that I thought was so great. We're asking men to unlearn all the ways in which they've been socialized. Mm -hmm. We have to also ask women to unlearn the ways in which they've been socialized.
3: Definitely. Like meet in the middle somehow because right now we're on two different planes that do not intersect at all.
1: Right. Don't don't defer to men. But also, you know, that's going to be poisoned a little bit by women's legitimate fear of male violence. Right. Right. That it's not just women defer to men for shits and giggles. Women defer to men because men can be violent when they don't get their way, and women are conscious of that in a way that men themselves are not. Yeah, who aren't violent, right? Like men who aren't violent benefit in this weird, perverse way from the advantage that all these violent men give even them because women are afraid of all men to, to protect themselves. So a guy who isn't violent wouldn't be violent is getting the same deference. That a guy, a woman has a legitimate cause to be afraid of, might, mm-hmm. but he's not prepared. of it. So at the same time, we tell men like we, men have to relearn how they're socialized or desocialized, and women have to like work against the ways they've been socialized. Men still have to be conscious of the way women are socialized and then work against it, you know, and take it into account.
3: Yeah, and invite yeah.
1: the no, invite the rejection. Yeah,
3: I mean, I'm just wowed constantly at how solid your advice is all the time. Yeah, how like you, is you that? You don't beat around the bush either. It's not like you're just, oh, you're doing whatever you want. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like tough it's very love. very good, tough love. And it's so well-informed. How, how did you become that? The trial and
1: error. Uh, I've always liked to say that column is as much an education for me as it is for my readers.
2: Yeah.
3: Um,
1: <laughs> you know, when you write an advice column, you appear to be efficient. You appear to have all the answers because you only run the questions that you have answers for. Very, and ah, sometimes yeah. you get a question and you don't know the answer and you go find the answer and then you act like you knew the answer all along.
2: Ah, ooh,
1: but in finding the answer, and- you, <laughs> you now know the answer. You, you were right. educated yourself in that process. Yeah, It's why me doing a live show on stage is a little different and more dangerous because I'll get questions that stump me. I've never stumped on the podcast. Totally. I've never stumped in the column. Because I don't run those questions, right? But right, I right. don't answer answers for. But in a live show, someone will ask a question. I'll be like, "Fuck if I know."
0: Yeah, totally, definitely. Yeah. Once we but were also, recording an
3: episode, remember you asked me if uh, there's P in squirting. Yeah, I was like, "Oh God." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look.
1: Um, I think the answer now is, is there pee in squirting is maybe. So what is so Who what cares? there's pee in everything. Yeah.
3: There's pee in guys' jizz too. There's also apparently. P. I I just heard this, in your little eye crusties when you wake up in the morning. There's
2: pee, There's
3: everywhere. pee everywhere. If everywhere.
0: you live in New York, <laughs> you inhale yeah. pee. That's what you do.
1: Pee in your little eye crusties, but only if somebody peed in your face before <laughs> you went to bed. <laughs> if
0: that's what you like. But if, yeah, if that's what you like. I also, I think what you were saying about nonviolent men too is interesting because so many of people's reactions to the Me Too movement kind of showed what kind of person they are. Like if mm. you if you were a guy that responded to the Me Too men, movement like, oh, no we can't talk to women anymore like you probably feel a little bit of guilt for something that you've done whereas I, we, our brother when it came out was like, can you believe that guys are this shitty? <laughs> he literally, he literally texted us at the same time here's the reason why I hate
3: white old guys. I was yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Jason As if we needed Nuttall.
1: another reason <laughs>
3: It's like, that's going to be you one day, Jason. So. No, <laughs> it shouldn't be. An old white guy. It's what he's going to be.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: You know, Caitlin Moran had a great essay about how there's no manual for women on how to navigate a world full of shitty men. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's really terrific. But she, There was a section in it that I thought was also terrific where she said there's no manual on how to be a good guy. Right. Ooh. There's no manual for guys. Because guys are supposed to know everything. Guys are supposed to make the first move. Guys are supposed to have mastery, and, and you know, be good at sex. Um, and there's just no manual for how yeah. to navigate dating sex and relationships for guys either. Um, that makes it any simpler for them. I just think in heterosexual different. sex, women are likely to end up traumatized than men. Um, and so the onus should be on guys to be better.
0: Yeah. It's a lot of pressure on them too, though, I realize. They shouldn't have to do everything. They shouldn't be uh, have this... Idea that they know how to have sex, and they're going to be the ones that are going to make us come. Right? It's way more fun to be an independent woman that can come into a sexual relationship that is knowledgeable about yourself uh, to the point that you can make yourself happy, and then focus on them too, and not feel upset
1: and, right. and make demands. Yeah. And a lot of women believe that if they go and making demands, they're going to scare the guy off. Okay, if it scares the guy off, good fucking riddance. Yeah, you're right to make demands. But most guys react positively because guys are often flying blind Mm -hmm. with a new partner and it creates a lot of anxiety because he doesn't know exactly what he needs to do, doesn't know what might be good for her or or pleasure her and is attempting to pleasure her. And so the more info you can give him, the better. You should embrace that. But any guy who doesn't embrace that is not a guy you want to be in bed with. He's just taking pleasure and not invested in giving it to Mm
0: -hmm. Right.
1: Um, hey, why would you worry about scaring that guy off by yeah. being too demanding sexually?
0: Yeah, you'd have to have really bad self-esteem. I don't know. Which or, I have or, had before. No. Sometimes you just don't want to hurt their feelings. No, but if if literally you're talking to a guy and you're like, this would make me feel better. This was a really interesting thing. I, I made So the guy that I was having sex with was my boyfriend. I've had a boyfriend the entire time I've been running this podcast. And... <laughs> Uh, Yeah, right? It's fun for him. (laughs) Um, But he's been supportive. It's been great. But he likes to hold hands like this, where we clasp together, and it's finger between finger between finger. I hate doing that with him because my hands are very small, and it hurts me. And I've said it to him, I'm like, when you do that, it really, really hurts my hand. And he unconsciously will go to reach for my hand again and do the clasp and stuff, and I'll have to remind him again... That really, really hurts my hand. Like not that, not that he's. I want to do like this, like a handshake, but next to each other, just not finger between Weird. finger between finger. And I said, you know what, Ben? This would be an interesting thing that you should spread around the male community because if you think about how difficult it is for me to keep telling you that you're hurting my hand and we're not in the throes of sex, can you imagine what it is like for every girl that has to tell a guy you're being too hard on my vagina or you're doing you know whatever when they're literally giving into their animal instincts
3: yeah i mean this is such an extreme story and you know this but i think a lot of it is a shyness thing when i was eight i was literally i was horseback riding and i was a profoundly shy kid Uh and the horse backed out of the stable stepped on my foot and i was too embarrassed about it to say anything. <laughs> so I let this fucking horse stand on my foot until it got off. <laughs> Literally. I was eight. I could have just broken my whole foot. Yeah. And how did you not break your foot? Oh, I'm tough. Mental toughness. <laughs> but how do you so, like, do so you think? So afraid of
1: making a scene. So afraid of attracting attention to yourself. Yeah. yeah. You advocate, yourself, advocate for yourself in a moment when a horse is standing on your foot. Mm-hmm. Your, your self-preservation instincts were overridden by your self-consciousness around being the center of attention or attracting any positive or negative attention to yourself. And that's going to carry over into sex. Yeah. A lot of cases, particularly with our terrible sex ed in this country, where women arrive at sex, girls arrive at sex, not knowing that they're supposed to be pleased by it too. Nope. Not knowing that it's supposed to be pleasurable, not just for him, but for her. So women will have uncomfortable, even painful sex without – Objecting. Yeah. Because they don't believe that it could be any other way or should be any other way. That it, it jives with their expectations. Well, that's really an indictment of, of sex ed that only centers reproduction
0: and As that only sex. centers
1: male pleasure because only male pleasure is absolutely necessary for reproduction.
0: Yeah. And it completely goes away from any LGBT person who thinks that now they can't have sex. I literally, like, and I've said this, we had a sex ed episode where I was like, I didn't think lesbians could have sex. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're having more orgasms than any straight woman.
1: Right, and particularly even young lesbians. Yeah, there's no orgasm gap with bisexual and lesbian girls and their partners. Whereas mm-hmm. straight girls and their male partners, there's a huge orgasm gap.
0: Yeah, um, you actually started the. Humph. It gets better. Oh, I was gonna uh-huh. no this right? Didn't you start? It gets better. Yeah. Yeah. that's insane. I didn't know that. <laughs> Um, it was
1: like ten- 2010-ish? It started in September of 2010.
0: Yeah. So uh, you'd be hard-pressed yeah. to not know what the It Gets Better project is. But if you don't...
1: It was an online video campaign where we encouraged LGBT adults to you know, sit in front of their computers and make them an upload to YouTube. Just a video talking about the bullying that they experienced in middle school or high school and what they did, what they said to their family that brought their family around, mm-hmm. uh, the changes that they were able to make in their life. Uh, as they got a little bit older, so they felt safer, or were safer, found people who loved them, um, and and moved away from that period in a lot of the lives of queer people where we may be suicidal because we feel such despair, because we feel trapped in families that don't accept us, in religious traditions that uh, teach us we're sick or sinful, um, surrounded by assholes in high school uh, who bully us, and a lot of kids will believe that it will ever be thus and yeah a lot of lgbt adults know that there's a way out because we found our way out uh, and it was the video campaign was about adults sharing that basically illuminating that path for younger queers you know when you think about it a kid who's bullied because of his race or her faith mm-hmm. or their class yeah. goes home to parents of the same race same faith same class that yeah. they can tell
2: right uh, yeah.
1: what's happening to them they can open up to yeah. and get advice about how to navigate. Uh, as a person of color in a racist society or how to navigate uh, living in America as a Muslim kid because they lived it. They navigated that. Yeah, they still do. But a queer kid goes home to parents who are straight almost inevitably. Right. A queer kid goes home to parents who are also bullying them.
0: Yeah, definitely. And
1: So the Better Project was about queer adults speaking to queer kids in the way that an African-American parent might speak to an African-American kid.
0: Yeah. Like where where are your parents that can talk to you?
1: Right. Well, we're not your parents, but we're going to talk to you anyway. But we're,
0: yeah, <laughs> we're, we're people who can show you how much it can get better. Yeah. Um, yeah. which is a really, I think it hadn't been, um, seen before. Definitely.
3: That also brings up though, I mean, your childhood was super interesting to
0: grow up Irish Catholic too. I, and gay? Do you guys know he's gay? Yeah,
1: <laughs> <Yep. very gay. laughs> not the straight advice columnist who tells straight people to watch gay porn. I'm the gay advice columnist who yeah. tells <laughs> people to watch gay porn. Um, yeah, it was uh, an interesting way to grow up. It was a long time ago, though. I'm 54 years old. Right. So, uh, although my parents did everything wrong uh, <laughs> to a large extent before I came out, uh, they were operating with the only information they had available to them yeah. at the time. You know, people believed homosexuality was something that a kid could sort of drift into. And to keep your, you know, effeminate gay boy from drifting into homosexuality, you were supposed to nudge them in the opposite direction. Make them play baseball. Say shitty homophobic things to them. Make sure they understood that it was a sad, sick life and they shouldn't want it.
2: Mm -hmm,
1: um, mm -hmm. To get them to drift over to the straight side of the harbor. Uh, But, of course, that's not how it works. And all I remembered, you know, I was 15 years old. All I knew was that... My parents would tell me that they loved me, and I would think, "No, you don't," because I've heard what you've had to say about people like me. And if you knew who I was, you wouldn't love me. Yeah. And it's a real mind fuck to be thirteen, fourteen, fifteen years old and think every time your mother or father says, "I love you," you're lying.
0: Yeah, I did like the story about the, the priest. priest. Oh my, is that true?
1: Yeah, it was right after I told my mother I was gay. Um, we were very, very Catholic. My dad was a Catholic deacon. My mom was a Catholic lay minister. Uh, My mother called uh, Father Tom, whose last name I won't give because he's still out there, still a priest. And uh, he came running to the house because my mother said that she was having a crisis. And what my mother said to him was not, Danny's gay. She said, Danny says he's gay. Mm. Still hedging her bets. Yeah. Uh, And he put his hand on my mother's knee and looked her in the eyes and said, Judy, I'm gay. So cute.
2: I love it it so
1: much. It really helped because... You know, my mom had been friends with this priest for a long time, and he'd had a really rough road, and he had a drinking problem, and had been in and out of rehab for alcoholism. And what he told her was, this is what's at root for my alcoholism. Like, I could never accept myself, and it's better that Danny live the way that he wants to live than to live the way I live. And he was saying all this to my mother, uh, knowing that I was in the seminary, I had thought about being a priest myself. Um, and he was telling her, better that I could live as an openly gay man than be a closeted, self-hating priest. Definitely. And it helped my mother to accept me, so I'm eternally grateful to Father Tom. He yeah, sounds
0: amazing. Thanks, Father Tom. Father Tom, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I didn't want to get too political in this episode, but you are quite a political person. Um, and I have a friend who is a gay man, and I had to spend an hour and a half on the phone with him right before the midterms, convincing him to um, register to vote uh, and convincing him why voting is important. Um, He comes from a Southern family, um, a religious family, and a Republican family. And every time they talk politics, um, he seems to think... Because they tell him it won't affect his life, whether he's a Republican, like he votes Republican or not, um, that they're correct. And it was very difficult for me to explain to him that his parents were voting in a way that goes against their son. They are. The Um, Republican
1: Party is rabidly. It's like, hey, Trump just canceled research for a cure for HIV.
3: Really? They disbanded their entire like week. science academy. It's insane.
1: They're still pushing rapidly anti-queer, anti-trans, anti-gay policies. If anything, it's gotten worse over the last 40 years. Yeah. Uh, the The Republican platform in 2016 was the most homophobic Republican platform ever. More homophobic Republican platforms at the height of the AIDS epidemic in 1988, mm-hmm. uh, 1992. Which is saying something. So yeah. there's real anti gay uh, hysteria taught through the AIDS epidemic. Um, and the Republican Party is more homophobic in 2016 yeah. in a country with marriage equality uh, more than it was in 1988.
0: More anti women, anything that is not exactly who that politician is. Uh, they're not advocating for your rights. So it is, it is our responsibility to vote for our rights. And if your parents are telling you that it it doesn't matter, it does. Um, they, unfortunately, aren't maybe looking out for your platform. Now, I had one more question before you have to go, because there was a really great caller, and this is something that we've really struggled to deal with. A caller called in on the Sarah Silverman episode of your podcast, and she was asking about her little boy putting things up his butt. Um, <laughs> You very um, smartly said it doesn't matter if you tell him not to put certain things up his butt because you tell thing, them not to put things in their mouth all the time. And that doesn't mean never put something in your mouth or never put something in your butt. It's just don't stick a Lego up your ass. But right. how do we talk to small children about having sex and when do we do it?
1: <laughs> well, I think you do it when that child expresses an interest. And usually the opening is the child wanting to know where babies come
0: from.
1: come from. And that allows you to talk about sex. It's important to also talk not just about the reproductive reasons that people have sex. People have sex to make a baby. um, But people have sex for intimacy. People have sex uh, for pleasure. um, And in an age-appropriate way, you have to roll that part of it out too. Pleasure is the reason people have sex most of the time. Mm -hmm. People have a lot of sex and at most a few children. Yeah. Uh, And so what is sex for? Well, human beings don't go into heat. Human beings... Uh, are built to have a lot of recreational sex, built to have a lot of intimacy because it's doing something else in our lives and doing something else in our society, and our culture, and our relationships. And that other stuff is arguably more important than the making a baby thing. Because if making a baby was the whole point, we would go into heat like cats and we would have sex just then when uh, conception was most likely and then never, ever at another time. Yeah all the rest of the sex that we have. You know, when a kid gets to be 10, 11, 12, then you need to have that conversation that's not just about reproduction, but that's about connection, that's about intimacy, a conversation about consent, and a conversation about pleasure.
0: What about, though, I heard a very crazy story recently about, I don't even want to call it crazy, but it's crazy, <laughs> about... my. My friend knows a guy who was caught when he was three years old by the nanny having sex with his seven-year-old sister, full penetration. What do you say to that? Like, what? That's a very odd case. Yes, but
1: (laughs) but you don't overreact. Okay, you say to a kid, "Yes, it feels good. It's not appropriate, particularly for siblings." Um, and there will be a time in your life when that's appropriate. You'll find appropriate partners, but we don't touch our genitals to the genitals of others mm-hmm. at your age, particularly. with
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a crazy, but like, I know a lot, like I used to grind with a lot of my girlfriends when I was younger, like how far is too far? Are, you know what yeah. I mean?
1: Well, obviously penetrative sex at age three and seven, uh, <laughs> incestuous penetrative sex at age three and seven is too far. Yes. And those are kids you're going to want to keep an eye on um, because you don't want your reaction to make what they're doing so like taboo forbidden that they're going to sneak around behind your back and do it but you also don't want to allow them to think that this is something they should do or should continue to do or could continue to do because then they may begin to act out with other children. Right. And that's a that's a nightmarish way to wind up with a stigmatized child uh, or a real sex panic in yeah. your your community um, or the community in which you live uh, and so it's a real fine line it's a difficult line for parents to to walk you need to come down on them in a way that makes them aware that they this is something they should be doing but not come down on them so hard or flip out so hard that you make what they were doing seem tempting alluring yeah Dangerously attractive.
0: Ah. Yeah, it's like the Romeo and Juliet effect. Yeah. Sarah Silverman told the funniest story oh, right. about um, <laughs> her niece, I think, when she was like starting to masturbate or whatever. She was like, um, always had her hands in her pants, and her mom was like, don't do that because I'm nervous that if you masturbate, you're gonna. she had glasses, mm-hmm. you're going to infect your eye or smudge <laughs> your glasses or whatever. And the kid was like, oh, okay, okay. And then a few days later, the mom sees her like digging around in her pants again and she goes, no, what are you doing? What are you doing? And she goes, well, this hand is for my vagina and this hand is for my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> what a smart
3: kid. So funny. <laughs> so cute.
0: Um, okay, so you have to go. Um, I just want to tell everybody to check out Hump, which can can, can we just talk about a teeny tiny?
1: <laughs> well, Hump is uh, an amateur porn film festival that's created by the audience. People make and submit uh, five-minute or less porn shorts. Um, some of them are animation. Some of them are musical comedy. Um, some of them are erotica. Some of them are graphic and pornographic. Um, it's whatever people want to submit. Um, and you know, there are a lot of people who will say about porn that they don't like it cause it's dehumanizing mm-hmm. and they worry, you know, do the people who are, you know, on my device, I'm looking at porn on my computer, were they willing participants? Did they do this because they were in, they were forced, uh, are they under economic duress and they're just doing this for the money and they're hating it. And that ruins the enjoyment for a lot of people like worrying about. yeah, performers. That's always
0: what I thought about porn. I thought it was just people getting used and like who were there and like needed money. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I guess I will say it always seemed like something that wasn't a first choice.
0: Yeah. Definitely.
3: And it was a fallback or they had to. Yeah,
0: and now I see that with commercial porn actresses too. I'm like, "Oh, you can also be there because you know that your body can make money in this way or that you like doing this." Like it's yeah. not just like, "Oh, this was the last resort." Well, it right. really it did remind me of
3: next our upcoming episode, we have some really interesting people oh, who can, I was going
0: to say that, but they're talking about porn and like, um, but this film festival is interesting because it's amateur people. Definitely.
1: Everybody in Hump, it's friends and lovers who make the movies. Yeah. So you don't have to worry that anyone's doing it under any form of duress. And that is then like frees people up to really enjoy it. And we like to say that Hump is very humanizing porn. Because mm-hmm. people make the stuff that interests them, and they're sharing with the viewer their thing, their big turn-on, what they really enjoy, their fantasy or their go-to sex partner or sex acts. And it's very joyful. Yeah. And we had a woman who came who approached me in the, audio, in the theater before the screening to say that she was there under duress, didn't like porn. Um but her friends talked her into it. And afterwards she came up to me and like raved about how much she loved Hump, loved the films that she saw, so awesome. how much she was able to enjoy them because they were clearly all made by people yeah. having fun. Yeah. And the next year, twelve months later, she had made and submitted a film and was in Hump. Ah, ooh. So she went from hating pornography, never wanting to see pornography, to literally being in pornography. It's amazing. And screened in a movie theater for hundreds, thousands of people in 12 months' time.
0: That's amazing. I really love that. Um, You have done such amazing work. Thank you so much for being here. This is the best season two kickoff we could have asked for. Will you remind our listeners where they can find you, your podcast, your writing, all of your books?
1: My podcast is at SavageLoveCast.com. I post a daily Savage Love letter of the day at TheStranger.com, at their blog, Slog. And you can find the Hump Film Fest at HumpFilmFest.com.
0: Perfect. Um, Dan, we have to ask this at the end of every episode and after every sexual encounter. Did you finish?
1: (laughs) Well, since I was running my mouth and I'll never finish running my mouth. That's all we were doing here. I guess I did finish because I still have shit to say.
0: Okay. Well, we'd love to finish you off another time. (laughs) Um, So if you ever want to come back and run your mouth, we'll We'll be here. We're here for you. Um, Charlotte, did you finish? I did. Okay, great. Did you finish? I did. Um, you guys, thank you for coming. Thank you, Dan. Hey, thanks so much. We'll see you next time on How Come. Bye. Goodbye. You can also follow Dan Savage on Instagram at Dan Savage. And if you want to see bonus footage of this episode, we recorded the entire Skype interview. You might have also seen on my, um, my Instagram that I was having a full breakdown after this interview. It was with Dan Savage. I thought he didn't like me. I think after this recording, we know that... It was pretty okay, but if you want to see the full uncut thing, full of Charlotte's coughing fits, Dan's coughing fits, um, just a a bunch of awkward pauses. We're just disgusting. We're all sick. Um, Go to patreon.com backslash howcome, and we've got the full uncut video there. I hate the word uncut. It sounds like a penis. Okay. But some people like penises, and some people like uncut stuff. That's fair. So go to Patreon and check it out. Go to Patreon. Yeah, go to Patreon. (laughs) And hey... All of our companions Do you love how come We think you do Some of you have had your first orgasms Some of you have had other people have orgasms Because of this podcast You know what you could do for us Like, review, and subscribe on iTunes Five stars please, nice reviews Oh man, that would really make our day And share it Do you want other people to have orgasms Share it Send it to your mom. Send it to your sister. Send it to your friends. Send it to your boyfriend. Send it to your husband or your wife or whoever you want to be your husband or wife. Send it to your sister. I just said that. We'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, if you want extra content, you always know where to go. Patreon.com backslash howcome. We've got extras. Charlotte and I talk about the episodes sometimes. We put up stuff that... Needs to be behind a paywall because um, there's hot goss. Um, if you want to follow us individually, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Remy Casimir and at Sharkastic. The podcast you know on Twitter and Instagram is How Come Podcast. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash how podcast. And yeah, go to that Patreon. Even if you don't want to get new content. If you're just like, hey, we'd like Remy to move out of her grandmother's house, send me some money. That would be sick. Yeah, send us some money. She needs to move out. This I gotta is go. They turn on the sink during every recording. It it's so annoying. It's enough. Oh, would you like to see me live? Oh, please come see me live so you don't have to wait till the next time How Come to see me. Uh, go to remycasimir.com for all of my stand-up dates and um, live shows for How Come. That's right. We're going to be doing live podcasts this season. Isn't that sick? Um, those recordings, only going to be available on patreon.com. So again, patreon.com backslash How Come. All right. Goodbye.